So please take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12. You know, we've been uh, talking about the five solas of the Reformation, which is a, a great series to, to reflect upon what God has done in providing salvation for his people. But the question sort of comes as, so what? So what? And so I, I just thought as we were to sort of think about that question this morning, that we might just continue on from the passage we looked at last week at the end of Romans 11 and go on into Romans chapter 12. But before we do, let's, uh, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you have given us your word. We, we are a people that easily forget. God, it just, uh, the things of this world can capture our attention. Father, there are so many things on our minds and, and in our lives. Lord, we thank you that you bring us back to your word every week. That, Lord, we could sit at your feet and, and not just hear a human preacher, but, Lord, that your Holy Spirit can speak through an imperfect vessel to bring your word to us. And we pray this morning that that word would be faithfully delivered that, Lord, you would open our hearts to receive that word by faith. That, God, that the soil of our hearts would be that which would be fertile. That, Lord, which would receive this word and that which would bear fruit to your name and your glory. We thank you, O God, and pray this in your name. Amen. So as you get up every day, every morning, and face a new day each day, how do you decide what you're going to do and what you're not going to do? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different choices. You know, some of the things are dictated to us. Kids, you, you have to go to school. We got to go to work. You know, maybe got to clean the house. Whatever it might be, there's, there's things that we definitely have to do. But still, even in that, there are choices. You know, I, I guess maybe another way to ask that, what is the guiding principle that directs your decisions and helps you to determine how you're going to prioritize your day. And, and not just your day, but really your life. And maybe another way to ask that is, how does the gospel, the good news, influence your life? Or what impact or what bearing does it have upon your lives? Are our lives truly driven or impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, Paul, in Romans 12, really through the end of the book, uh, speaks of how we are to live our lives. He's, you know, given this great theological treatise that has just caused Paul to, to break out into worship and to praise God as he just reflects upon the nuances of the plan of God for salvation. And then now we sort of come to that point where, you know, how are we going to live? And so I want us to think about that gospel-centered life that life that is so focused upon what God has done for us that it sort of helps us to understand how we are to live in response to that. So I want us to, first of all, look at the basis of a God, uh, gospel-centered life. Look at what Paul says in, in uh, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, you've probably heard a lot of sermons on Romans 12.1, and everybody starts out with the word, therefore. 
You know, the word therefore points back to everything that has happened before, not just in chapter 11, but really since the beginning of the book, you know, uh, where Paul gives a very thorough and I would say a very glorious explanation of the way that God has provided for to make us right with him. And that's no small task. And he says that as he talks about the mercies of God. So there is a sense in which this single word begins to answer that question that I've posed at the, that, at the beginning, you know, as to how we are to live our lives. We are to live our lives in response to the mercies of God. But you know, a heart and a soul of living right before God can't be found in a command alone. You know, I, I can't just say, to you do this and you automatically do it. Or even I can speak to myself and say, Hart or Rick, do this. You know, because the human heart is too wicked to be told what to do. We are stubborn people. And even the heart of those that have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ are prone to wander and to be distracted by the world or in, even engulfed in our own desires and our own pleasures, right? And, and sometimes even good desires and good pleasures but that oftentimes forget who God is truly and who we are in Christ. And so what we need to do is to be pointed back to the gospel, but not simply pointed back to the fact of the gospel, but to its reality. A reality that is so amazing and, and so lofty that it causes us, as Paul did in verses 33 and 36 of chapter 11, to burst forth into praise and to realize how incomprehensible God is to come up with such a magnificent plan of redemption to, to purchase or to buy us back a people for himself. So Paul directs our attention to reflect upon the gospel, but that which is probably for a lot of us guys, if we're serious, has become way too common news for us. It's no longer the good news. It's no longer the great news it is then, as we really reflect upon that gospel, that our hearts and our wills and our desires will be set aflame. And it's only then will we be willing to respond to God appropriately for all he has done for us. So a command is not enough. You know, really, it, 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 we need to allow the, the full weight of the gospel of Jesus Christ to come to bear upon our souls so that we might respond to God appropriately. And so Paul says to the Roman Christians, he doesn't command them what to do. He doesn't command them with the force of the thunder of Sinai, do this or God will smoke you. He doesn't say that. How does he open? Very gently, very tenderly. I appeal to you. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, now, that, that verb there, to appeal, parakaleo, is, is a very warm, a very endearing word, which, which is translated in other places in the Bible to mean encourage or to comfort. And it's actually the root word that we get, the, the, one of the names for the Holy Spirit, parakaletos, or comforter. And so to this uh, tender appeal, then, Paul adds that phrase, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. You know, the thing that I want us to see this morning is that as God is calling us to hear the word from Romans 12, that he's not calling us 
before the bar of God's outraged justice, but he is inviting us to come by way of his mercy seat. That here God doesn't threaten us with death if we don't, you know, come to him in the right way, but he sweetly draws us to him with cords of love um, and saying, sinner, here you will find mercy. Amen? Now, it's, it's interesting, if you think about this, if God showed us one mercy, uh, that would be quite incredible for a sinner. But notice what he says here. He says, by the mercies, plural, by the mercies of God, there is a divine fullness here that he's talking about as he uses that plural. It's mercy to which we respond, and it is by mercy which we respond to him. And we do respond to him where Jesus becomes our all, where we thank God so much that our salvation is not dependent upon us as we see the fickleness of our heart and we just grow more and more and more in love with him. And we're so thankful that God did not make our salvation dependent upon us, but that he uh, is the one who makes that salvation secure. But what is it? Why is it that he is sweetly drawing us to himself? Well, because he wants us to also understand the nature of a gospel-centered life. He says, he goes on and he says, that I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, it seems that Paul obviously here is alluding to the Old Testament sacrificial system, but unlike the Old Testament sacrificial system, uh, Paul describes a sacrifice in which the victim continues to live. In the Old Testament, that never happened. Dead was dead. When they sacrificed that lamb, he was dead. When he sacrificed that bull, that bull was dead. But the other thing that's sort of different from the Old Testament is it's, it's a sacrifice in which the one that's offering the sacrifice, the priest, is also the sacrifice. And, and, and honestly, I, I don't know of an example in the Old Testament where one of Aaron's sons ever offered themselves as a sacrifice. Never happened. You know, or whatever Israelite ever came to the altar prepared to offer his own body. That, it just didn't happen. But Paul is talking here about a priest who did. And there is one priest who did offer himself as a sacrifice, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is his sacrifice that the Holy Spirit wishes, wishes us to see as the very pattern and, and uh, for our own duty and holy living. And what Paul is urging us the, or in the Romans to do here is really based on chapter 6 that we read in our, in our scripture reading earlier, you know, where he says, we have been crucified with Christ. You know, now, now what does that mean? It, well, it's a matter of our union with Christ. The Spirit wishes us to see our lives as united with Christ in His death and His res resurrection, that we produce uh, the pattern of death and resurrection in our lives. Um, it's, it's that sense of pattern of death and resurrection that causes us to be living sacrifices. Now, why is it so important? Well, because we are united with Christ, we have that ability, we have that power within us by the Holy Spirit to die to the sin that we wrestle with each and every day. 
But we also have the power that that flows through our spiritual veins to give us that ability to live that new life, that eternal life that we have in Jesus Christ. And if we were not in union with Christ, you know, then we wouldn't be able to take one step in obedience to God for the commands that he gives us because we wouldn't have the ability to do that. And if, you know, we think that we can somehow give a sacrifice to God that is acceptable to him, you know, based upon our own ability, you know, then we think that we are somehow we would have some good that we could give to God. But we know that that's not true. Now, for some that are here today, this whole idea of union with Christ may not be something you've ever heard of. As a matter of fact, it might sound sort of strange, but I think that's because so often when we think about the death of Christ, we only talk about it in terms of his substitutionary atonement. In other words, that he became a substitute for us. So what do we hear oftentimes? Jesus Christ died for your sins so that you don't have to die. Now, we will physically die, but once our body is dead, we know that it'll be raised to newness of life, and so we won't have to spiritually die. So that's what we think of. Jesus was our substitute. He died, so I don't have to die. But that's just really part of what the Bible teaches. The Bible also teaches that sense of union with Christ, that in the same way that Christ died on the cross, so we are to die daily to him. So Christ's death is not only for us, but it also is to take place in us as well. And so we are united to him in his death and his resurrection. Christians, the reality of the cross is not only the hope of our redemption, but it's a pattern of our lives that we are to, to die to sin. So yes, uh, there is a cross for us to bear, but there also is that sense, that resurrection as well. So let's go back to Romans 12 where Paul says we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, that we're to offer our bodies. Some people think that that means just the skin and the bones that are here, but that's not really true. If you go back and you read that passage we looked at in Romans 6, you'll see that really that what's offered is not just our physical body, but it's in our entire lives. And, and that's, that's true in keeping with Christ uh, giving his life that, that he gave uh, his body as an offering, or he gave his life to the Lord. And so as we think about that, I don't want you to just think of the physical body. It is through these members of our body that we carry out our desires or our obedience before the Lord, but it's also our wills and our spirits and, and all that there is in us. So as we think about what that means to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, it is conceivable that Paul is saying that we are to give up that the fleshly lust of our bodies to crucify our old nature, if you want to put it in terms that Paul uses, to put to death what is earthly in us. And if you look at Paul's writings, you see that kind of language in, in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Galatians 5, 24. All those are examples where he, where he talks about that. So, you know, we could look at this as as you struggle with sin, it's not that you need to overcome a particular sin, but that Christ has already done so. And Christ has, has broken the power of sin in your lives. And it is for us to walk in that power, to live in union with Christ and obey God's word because Christ gives us the ability to obey. So that could be what he's talking about. But I don't think that's what he's talking about. And, and the reason I say that is if you go on and look at this text, he describes what that sacrifice is to be. It, it is holy 
it is acceptable or, or another, maybe some of your translations say well-pleasing to God. So he's focusing on the fact that Jesus was blameless and unblemished sacrifice and that he's saying for us that we too, as, as those who have been made blameless and unblemished in Christ, are to offer our justified and sanctified selves as a sacrifice pleasing to God. Do you see the difference? This is a much higher plane. You know, oftentimes I think we approach this passage of, oh yeah, I need to just try harder to be more committed. That's what I need to do. I need to, to try to be a better Christian. I need, I need to try, just try to, to, to work harder and to offer that. But I think what he's saying here is, is that no, you have been given a new life in Jesus Christ. And you are to take that life that you have been given and you are to offer that life then back to God in service to him as your sacrifice, as your spiritual sacrifice. So we are to offer a sacrifice that is not worthy of death, but is worthy of life. And you are to offer up what is good and that very good that was created in you by God himself, that new life that you have in Christ. You are not to hoard that new life, uh, like some treasure, like, ha, 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 it's mine. It's not that. And, and using that, you know, uh, uh, to try to, um, to improve your life. I think sometimes Christians view the Christian life as a, as a lifelong self-improvement project. You know, we're, we're, to, we're to be more godly. We're to be more holy. We are to be, uh, have greater piety. And, uh, you know, God blesses us with this new nature to make us better. And so we hang on to that life that Christ gives us and, and we sort of conserve that and, and think, okay, God, you've given me these blessings so that I can be a better person. And, and what I want to suggest to you is that there's more to our Christian life than that. Yes, God does want us to grow in holiness. But look, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5. And just the first two verses, Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So now as we look at that, did Christ offer himself up for the purpose of self-improvement? No, not, not at all. He offered himself up for us. And that is the nature of the Christian life as well, that we are to offer ourselves up to God for the sake of others. So um, don't you see that this is precisely where Paul is taking us? If you look back at Romans 12 and you look down through the rest of the chapter, what does he talk about? He talks about the spiritual gifts that have been given to us that we are to use for the benefit of others. And then even at the end of the chapter, he, he paints a beautiful picture of sort of this selfless serving that we are to give to one another because of who we are in Christ. So the Christian life, you must not think about it in terms of how well am I doing? How righteous am I? How mature am I doing? Only thinking about yourself it is a sense in which we ought to be thinking, how well are others doing and how 
might, what might I do to serve them, to help them to grow in their faith? Do you see the difference between those two? Do you see a difference between that approach? I know this is sort of somewhat technical. It's a Sunday morning. The time has just changed. And, you know, it's probably not fair for a preacher to preach from this passage. But, you know, hang with me, okay? So, you know, uh, as Christians, we are to do, as it says in Matthew 16, 25, uh, Matthew says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's to be the attitude of the Christian. We are not to use this new life that we have in Jesus Christ for our own benefit. And you, maybe you've never thought of it that way, but I think as Christians, we can do that. We can, we become a new believer, we, we enjoy reading God's word and we're growing in our faith and we're enjoying the things that we're doing. And there can be sort of a sense of a holy selfishness that occurs because we think only of the Christian life in terms of how it benefits us. But what I want you to see this morning is, is that God has saved us that we might give that life away, that we might give that life in, in serving others. And so, you know, as, as Jesus tells us that we are to take up our cross daily because it is only the cross of Jesus Christ. It is only the cross of Jesus Christ. It is only the cross of Jesus Christ that will confront such, such sense of selfish desires on our part to use this new life for ourselves, but it is the cross that teaches us to give ourselves away. So God doesn't simply want to have what we have. He doesn't want to have all the things in your life. He doesn't want you to have all your efforts. He wants to have you. He wants to have you. And he wants you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to him. Now, how, how do we give our lives away? Well, look at Romans 12. Look at Romans 12. Look at verses 9. Let, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Uh, look down at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Neither be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. And then even verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. These are the things that are the outworking of a person who presents themselves to God, who says, God, you have made me a new creature in Jesus Christ. Before I was dead in my sin, I was a sinner, and any love, any good thing that I would do always would come from a selfish heart that only thought of me. But now you have set me free. And now I can love in a way that I never could love before. Now I could serve in a way that I could never served before. I, people could treat me awfully. They could treat me terrible. They could gossip about me. They could say all kinds of things about me. And you have given me the ability to turn to them and give them a cup of cold water and to show love and grace and mercy. And God, I offer 
that life that you have given to me back to you as a, as a living sacrifice. Now, I want you to notice something here about that idea of living sacrifice. When he says here to present your bodies, that's plural, right? Kids, we're going to do a grammar lesson here, right? You look at in, in Romans 12, it talks about your bodies, that's plural. But the sacrifice that he talks about is singular. Now, why is that so important? Well, Paul wants us to see that we are to conceive our life, our living sacrifice, collectively as a whole, as a church. You know, it is true that we are individually called to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. But there's also a sense in which he's talking about more of a broader picture as well. And if, if you want to know where I get this from, if you go back to chapter 11, you know, Paul's been expounding on the unity of God's people, both of Jew and Gentile under the image of the olive tree. So he's been doing that in chapter 11. Then you look over in verses three through eight of chapter 12, where he's been speaking of God's people as one body. And then sandwiched in between those two images of unity, he describes the church as one living sacrifice. That sense of, of unity. Now, if you look over to Romans 15, 16, we read, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of. Nope, that's the wrong chapter. So I'm sorry. Okay, that was 14. Yeah, 15, 16. He says, uh, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles and the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Actually, that's a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 66, verses 19 through 20. Let me just read a portion of that text um, from Isaiah. He said, and they shall declare my glory among the nations and they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to God. You see, both those texts make it plain that the people of God collectively are one offering to the Lord. And, you know, that's what he's talking about here in chapter 12 as well, that the whole church of Jesus Christ is an offering to the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about just Kirk of the Plains. I'm not talking about just this church is, an, is a living sacrifice. And I'm not just talking about all the churches in Andover. And I'm not just talking about all the churches in Andover and Wichita and the surrounding area or the state of Kansas or even the United States or even the entire world. It's really much bigger and broader than that. You know, he's talking about the church in all ages, in all places of the world. Offered as one great living sacrifice, empowered by one great sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the sacrifice that we belong to is the one, same one that John Calvin does and Martin Luther and all these guys that we've been studying for the last five weeks or so. And we see that we are offering to the Lord. Now, when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ died and offered his sacrifice, he did so alone. He was betrayed by Judas. He was abandoned by his disciples, condemned by the Sanhedrin and, and Pilate. Um, the, the crowds uh, denied him for the sake of Barabbas. Even, even the, the people on the cross, 
Even the criminals on the cross sort of denied Christ. And could you imagine just how lonely he was? And yet our sacrifice is never alone. First of all, because we are always united to Christ. So God is always there and we are never alone. But also because our union with Christ is never a matter of just being individuals with Christ, but also with the church as well. Think about the a hub of a wheel. You know, you got a wheel here and there at the very center at the hub is Christ. And out of that is all these different spokes. And so, you know, that that it Christ, that Christ in the center and then you got that going out to Sylvia and then you got that going out to Laverne and then you got that going out to Dan and you got that going out to Sarah and all that. And all those people are connected to Jesus Christ. But also in that wheel, all those people are connected to one another as well because they are in Jesus Christ. And so as we we come to the Lord, it is a sense in which we come uh, serving with brothers and sisters who are like us. So let me ask you once again, as you face each day, how do you decide what to do? What do you dis- how are you going to live? Is it out of that sense of understanding the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ and the new life that we have in him? Understanding that every day we have the spiritual blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, flowing through our spiritual veins. And we have an ability to live in a way that is different than this world. And God calls us to live out that life, not selfishly, not for our own benefit or our own service, but that we might serve him and that we might serve others. Brothers and sisters, that radically, if we let that just simmer on the brain for a while and get into the heart of our souls, that radically can change the way we view our lives and and even the prioritization of our lives and the things that we do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for uh, your word. And we just uh, pray, Lord, now that as we take just a couple of minutes and just reflect upon the things that we have heard, that you would speak to us, O God, that you would uh, help us to, to understand what it means to walk as living sacrifices. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen.